And welcome back to the Training Model Podcast. This is episode number six. Again, thank you very much for checking out the podcast, for tuning in. Uh, If you're new here, I would recommend going back to the first episode because a lot of these conversations are kind of just contextual. They just continue. We're just going to continue to add layers and layers and layers to what we're talking about throughout the Training Model Podcast. So yeah, if if you're new here, please go back, check out episode one and go through the full experience of what the Training Model Podcast has to offer. Firstly, uh, before we get into anything, I just want to say welcome to all of the coaches who are jumping into Understanding Center of Mass. Um, I've had probably, actually, one thing, listening back to the BPS episode, so number, uh, episode number five, I, I realized how often when I'm doing these chats by myself, I say, um, as just like a filler word. So I'm going to endeavor, I'm going to do my best to reduce the frequency of ums in today's episode uh, because I don't really I don't really want to be doing that too often. So I uh, apologize for all my ums in the previous episodes. Again, I am new to this solo podcasting sort of thing. I'm thinking about getting uh, some guests on uh, before the end of the year, probably banking a couple of episodes because I am about to become a dad and I'm going to take a little bit of a break. Not not too much of a break, but I'm definitely going to have a couple of weeks uh, into the new year off. So I'll probably bank some episodes with some guests. So I'll probably start reaching out to some people over the coming weeks to, to bank some of that stuff up. But today's discussion... So yeah, I digress as I do, but... I wanted to thank all the people that all the coaches that have been jumping into the Understanding Center of Mass webinar, which is on the 17th of November. So it's only a couple of weeks away on, on the Friday at 2 p.m. The tickets are $59. Uh, it will be about a ni- 60 to 90 minutes of content related to gravity and how gravity impacts the system and what flow on effect. We typically see, especially for those who train for strength and performance within the gym, what we typically see present as a response to gravity's pull on the system. So uh, we'll be dis- we'll be discussing a whole bunch of like mobility considerations around the pelvis, around the lower body and the upper body, uh, how we can improve programming strategy to better manage the center of mass and open up new ranges of motion, find new ways to tension the main force producing muscles of like the hamstrings, the glutes, the adductors, uh, the abs, the pecs and the lats, and then also just a whole bunch of just like theory on sort of center of mass and, and how it works. We're going to use gait as one of the lenses. This is something that we haven't gone through in the training model podcast yet, but eventually we'll get to to how I view gait and the model of, um, there's an arm, the model of gait and, and how we can use gait as human movement as well. So we'll get to that eventually, but um, for the time being, we are actually about to... So yeah, jump in the center of mass webinar. If you're interested in learning the main, the core principle of my movement model, uh, a lot of it comes from PRI, a lot of it comes from my time with Eric Cressy, uh, Bill Hartman's compression and expansion model fits in there well. The, uh, the progression of sort of programming that is required to improve some of these things. And I think it's going to be incredibly valuable for pretty much every coach that comes through. So I'm keen to get that rolling. So that will be one of the links down below if you're interested 
17th of November. One final thing on the Center of Mass webinar, and that is that uh, the recording will not go out to uh, for sale. It's not going to go for sale. That content is going to form piece of my next short course, which is my coaching my coaching um, short course, my coaching foundations short course. So then I'll have my two short courses up on the website, which will be my business foundations and my coaching foundations. And once that's set, I can then begin to start to move into the new direction of content for next year. So that will be coming out in December. So that that webinar will not be sold after the fact. You will get a recording if you purchase a ticket prior. You don't have to come to the live event. Uh, I will just send out the ticket. I'll send out the recording, sorry, after and you'll be able to jump in uh, and, and watch that recording and, and get all the content. Obviously, you won't be able to ask questions and, and have those discussions with the group, but that's completely fine. So if you can't make the 17th of November, simply just buy a ticket and you'll get the recording. It will not be for, it will not be for sale after the fact. So jump in there. One of the links down below will get you in. 59 bucks. It will change your life. I'm confident it will. It will shape your understanding of human movement in the gym related to strength and performance. So now moving forward into today's episode. What we're going to get into today is actually a little bit of coaching discussion. So Ben Riesenberger, he has been following the podcast. He, he put through a con- uh, contribute to the potty form on the website. So thank you very much, Ben. He said the podcast has been really valuable. Actually, I've had a, a bunch of people reach out and say the podcast has been really valuable. So that really does G me up. I can't tell you how much that G's me up. Some days, like I'm sure you guys feel it as well, but some days when you're, when you're sort of just slogging and business and work feels like an uphill battle and the way I like to think about it, like just walking through mud every now and then you go through periods where you just feel like you're walking through mud and things are slow and things are, and you, you've just got to, the, and why I like the mud analogy is you just, if you stop in mud, you get stuck there. You just have to keep moving forward. And just these little, these little messages, these little sort of, man, the podcast has been valuable. I've, I've applied a couple of things and really starting to feel some, some improvements, both from a business perspective and a training perspective. Um, it, it really does G me up and it motivates me to, to continue to move forward with my new direction. So I do appreciate all of the DMs and stuff that I have been getting and I'm glad the podcast has been valuable. The great thing is we're just getting started. We're only in episode six. So Ben was one of those people who's been following along and loving it. So thank you very much, Ben. And he had his his question was around sort of writing an initial program so what is the general flow thought process strategy of writing a new program for someone once they walk through the door and you've extracted their goals so for this question and i don't want to jump into just like program strategy before laying the contextual understandings and principles of programming for coaches and and the reason is is because a lot of the times and and this was all discussed in episode number five but a lot of the times we we have these models these principles that underpin our decision making and if you have a principle driven strategy so you don't have a method driven strategy so a method driven strategy would maybe maybe saying like oh you you you'd hit some top sets a, a one by one at eight and then some back offs at three to four reps at RPE sevens and eights and all of that sort of stuff. Like if you have a method-based strategy, so you're just applying methods to people, it can get a little bit scrappy very quickly. 
And this is the reason why principles that underpin your decision-making are so important and the models that and frameworks that you use to... Um, there's another one. The models and the frameworks that you use to frame and take on information is so important. So even though Ben's question is discussing like programming, I actually want to take this opportunity to start to unpack some of the key principles and frameworks that I use and I educate around when it comes to programming for strength and performance. So the first thing that we need to understand is load and and like this whole idea of load management. So load management and, and if you've been in the industry for a little while now, like you'll know that load management is kind of just the key to everything. There's no, there's like a dose response to load. So adjusting load is probably what is going to see the response from the system more than anything else. So we really need to understand what load is because load is the, the key thing that drives both positive and negative adaptations within the gym. So I think Franco Impalazzeri, he's someone that I would love to chat to and I might reach out to him eventually. Maybe let, let me get a little bit more clout with my podcast before I reach out to him. But Franco Impalazzeri has been studying load for I think about 15 to, it's actually probably more, it's probably close to 20 years now from what I have seen in the literature and observing some of his some of his research and some of his dis discussions and topics related to the to the idea of load and what is load management. And he has a really good framework. I would classify it as a model as well. Um, he has a really good model way of thinking about load management. And I think it's it's kind of like it's kind of a little bit of a cop out when when coaches and therapists and stuff say that oh it's just load management like yeah you, you've just like we joke about it on the strength culture podcast but oh you've just spiked your load and and that's why you're injured it's a little bit of of a, a cop out to just say load management so like it's it's no shit that it's load management but in order for it to be a load management problem we need to understand what load is so Franco has a fantastic model, uh, and this is from a, a, a. I don't even know if it's a research paper, but it's posted in literature. It's it's it's, it's called "Defining Load: A Conversation of Fifteen Years" or something like that, or fifteen years post conversation, whatever it might be. But he has this sort of like graph, and I've posted this graph many times on my social media. But he has this graph of a couple of like important things to consider when discussing load. At the very top of the graph, we have uh, performance and performance goals and training outcomes. And those things are all kind of flowing into each other. So you'll have like your performance in, in let's just say like a, a strength a strength context, you have your performance and depending on your performance, you'll review the performance and you'll get a direction for training to move forward with. And that direction for training begins to shape your programming and that programming, hopefully when you go back through a retesting process, you will get uh, an increase in performance and then that will flow in again and in, uh, change your training direction, your goals and your structure and all of that sort of stuff. So that's the first part of, of the model, which makes a lot of sense for a lot of coaches. So that would be number one. Number two then is then flowing on from that. It's this understanding of external load. So external and internal load. And external load is 
how I like to view it, external load is the program that you place on a human. It doesn't mean that the human does the program exactly how it is designed. It very rarely happens that way. Yes, you have clients that follow everything to a T, but even like RPE selections and load load selections can impact external load quite considerably. And we'll get into that as well. But external load is the organization of your training. So like the outdated, uh, it's not really outdated, but like an older school version of this would be like the typical periodization. So the organization of periodization, so organization of your training long-term, you will then have the quality and the quantity of your training. So all of those three factors feed into the external load. And the external load is what is actually placed onto the human system in front of you. When we discuss things like the quality of the load, the way that I like to view that is just the quality of the training. So your movement quality impacts that, your your sort of like intent within the training impacts that, your sort of focus, your load selections, all of that sort of stuff impacts the quality of the training. The quantities, obviously, then we're talking about what I like to view as the big rocks of training. So that is your volume, your intensity, and your frequency of training. So they're three key principles that underpin a program. So volume, intensity, and frequency, they are the big rocks because those big rocks is how we construct external load and place that on the human. When we get to things like exercise selection, rep ranges, rest times, all of those sort of things, yes, they have an impact on the external load, but at the core of those things, they are they are really quite fluid in how we can program uh, a lot of exercise selections and RP, uh, rep ranges and um, like rest times and program structure and all of that sort of stuff. What actually drives adaptation is not your external load, however. And then this flows onto the third piece of Franco Impalazzeri's model, which is internal load. And internal load, the way that I like to frame it from a practical standpoint, is it is how the external load is sort of... Uh, what would be the word? The word would be how the external load is received by the individual. And that would form the internal load. And the internal load from Franco Impalazzeri's model and also from my experience as a coach and educating coaches and building strength culture is that the internal load is what drives the adaptation. It is not the program per se. Yes, the external load of the program and how much load we place has an impact. However, there are so many internal factors and variables that create the response, both positive and negative, for the program and the adaptation that comes out of the program that we see in front of us. So the things that impact internal load and how the external load is received by the human would be things like your psychological readiness, your uh, motivation, your intent, your genetics, your uh, just overall health status, nutrition quality, sleep quality, hydration. Um, your and and then and then this is really where this BPS model layers into something like a programming strategy. Uh, I would go as 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 far as to say just things like your your buy in and and are you is your client bought into the program? 
Do they believe that this direction is positive and productive? Are you fighting with them in, in terms of like, are you challenging their beliefs? Are you challenging sort of their expectations of what should be happening and the exercise selected and the, the rep ranges and RPEs and volumes and all of that sort of stuff? All of those internal factors create this sort of like soup of an individual and we are just with an external load with the program we are just trying to flavor that soup in some capacity and yes there are structures to programming that make that we know work well and this is part of just developing your sort of like coaching model as as a whole and 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 identifying programming structures and prescriptions and all of that sort of stuff to actually find productive ways to program for adaptations for strength, hypertrophy, cardio, whatever it might be. But for the most part, it's the internal load. So it's how it's received and perceived is what really drives the adaptation. And this is where like from a BPS standing, this is really where things like placebo and nocebo live. They live within the internal world. They live within the internal load. If you change and modify the expectations of someone or make them believe something or challenge a belief and they start to open their horizons of what's possible and and the performance that they have potential for, we can really start to see really positive changes to the training program without having really adjusted the program itself. It's this internal world that really drives what is actually happening. And this is why I really like Franco Impalazzeri's model of understanding load. And that is because it takes into consideration the objective and the subjective world. And they are not independent pieces. They are, as I said last week, they're not these like Venn diagrams that kind of cross over, but they're like independent of each other at the same time. They're inherently connected. The external and the internal load are inherently connected. Uh, connected. Yes, we as coaches control the external load of the program through our organization, our quality and our quantity, but it's the internal load that really drives this process forward. And the internal load is a response to the external load. They are the same. They are one in the same. It's just that the internal load has a huge impact on the positive and negative outcomes that occur from training. So, that is the foundation of, of how I view load and, and how I educate around load. So now when we think about a load management problem or when we consider load management, it's more than just the program that we structure itself. It is all of the all of the connected pieces of the human in front of you, their experiences, their general health, um, their, their training history, their expectations, their beliefs, as well as the program itself. So from a principles-driven perspective, when we discuss load management, what we're trying to better understand is how to shape the internal load of the human. Because if we can shape the internal load of the human, if we can shape all of those internal qualities, the external load sort of gains, it kind of gains momentum. And we actually start to really see and, and progress within our training because of that internal load responsiveness to the external load. So 
when we think about programming, so now we're going to layer back down into like the big rocks and the small rocks. From an external load perspective, the big rocks are volume, intensity, and frequency. And when we think about these three principles of programming and these three variables of programming, these are the things that shape the external load more than any one particular exercise or one particular rep range or one particular rest period or anything like that. It is the volume, so how much work we are doing, the intensity, how hard the work is, and the frequency, how often we prescribe load is what is driving the external load um, through the program. So before we even get into things like exercise selections and which exercise is best for this and that, we have to shape, when we're writing a program, we have to shape the overall external load first. And yes, we might marry external load with uh, like particular exercises. So if you think about something like a deadlift, a deadlift we're probably constrained to a degree when programming deadlifts. We can't do, we're probably not going to prescribe high frequency deadlifts. We're probably not going to prescribe high high volumes of deadlifts because they are so fatiguing on the system and that, that sort of like um, that trade-off of fitness and fatigue is probably not as good as something like a, like an SSB squat. An SSB squat, we could probably crush that every single day and really have fantastic progress. But things like a deadlift where we're getting heaps of like lower back and like a lot of posterior chain sort of stress and demand on the system, we can't really just flame that with high amounts of load, high amounts of volume, high amounts of intensity and high amounts of frequency. Things like bench presses, smaller ranges of motion, lighter lifts, um, things that just aren't as demanding on the body, machine work and all of that sort of stuff. We can increase that volume quite consistently and, and increase that external load quite consistently. But for things like deadlifts and, and, and particular sort of exercises that you have with clients, there might be some constraints that we need to work within. But I digress. What is the most important is volume, intensity, and frequency. That is what drives external load. That is what drives the system forward with a, a progression of actual training. So we have to get the load, the loading of external load correct or within the realm of a structured program um, in order to see positive progress occur. So how do I frame writing an initial program for, for someone and how would I educate somebody to sort of build out their own model? It, it centers around volume, intensity, and frequency. So let's start with volume. So volume is how much load we are placing. I think the easiest way to understand volume prescriptions is just through uh, hard sets per week. Hard sets would be above an RPE six. That's where the literature is currently kind of standing on where productive training occurs. You have to kind of push training to a degree somewhat close to failure because proximity to failure is what is actually driving the intensity within a program. And this is where sort of the conversation around like percentages versus RPE kind of has a little bit of uh, consideration and that is that percentages being a reactive a bottom a, a top down sorry a top down response or direction of training can sometimes become a little bit inaccurate because we're using previous held one rep maxes or performance-based testing days to determine sort of longer term flow on effects of training so 
percentages, I think, from an intensity standpoint, don't make a lot of sense. What makes the most sense from a hard sets per week perspective is RPE and proximity to failure at the objective and subjective level. And that, and this is why I love and why I promote RPE-based training so heavily in its comparison to percentage-based training is because percentage-based training only really lives in the objective world. And if you listen to the discussion in episode number five, you know how much now this subjective experience actually impacts all outcomes of training, positive, negative, um, and and whatever else uh, you might think of from a training perspective. So this subjective world and this objective world, they are inherently connected. So we need to use and build in systems and strategies from a programming standpoint that have those two worlds connected. And this is where RPE comes in. The positive of RPE is that it is subjective. It takes into consideration the experience, the subjective experience, the perceived exertion of the client rather than just the objective of a percentage-based prescription. Percentages can work. At the end of the day, we live in an objective world. They can work. They, they have worked. They have worked consistently well for many generations of strength trainers and strength athletes. However, I think if we wanted to add a layer deeper, we need to consider the subjective world as well. And that's where RPE fits. And if we go back to the load management, um, if we go back to that load management model from Franco Impalazzeri, that internal and external load connection, I believe best fits within RPE. RPE is the bridge between how the external load is being applied to the internal load. It is the connection of external and internal load. It is the most acute response and data point that we can gain when trying to determine, have we prescribed enough? Have we prescribed it hard enough? Are we doing too much? RPE tells us that within the most acute setting, which is directly after the set or directly after the session or a conversation or anything like that, trying to be reactive to uh, percentage-based sort of prescriptions and progressions week on week on week, and then reviewing it at the end of the training block, it's just too long a time period to really see if that load is being perceived and executed well at a at an acute level, which is really what's driving. We're trying to maximize individual sessions within the gym and accumulate wins over time. So that's why I like RPE, and the research supports that we have to kind of hit an RPE 6 within our prescription of of a training set a hard training set and just on that you might then see people say that the further away that a client is from an rpe 10 the less accurate they are with their prescriptions which is true absolutely that's true and it becomes very difficult to determine what's the difference between an rpe 5 and an rpe 7 or an rpe 4 and an rpe 6 and all of that sort of stuff and, and this is where I like to think from an intensity sp- standpoint, again, one of the other big rocks of load management, the intensity standpoint, I like to frame it within three sort of subgroups of intensity. We have low intensity, which is anything that's going to be a, below an RPE 7. We have a moderate intensity, which is 7s and 8s, so roughly within two to three reps of failure. And then we have high intensity efforts and high intensity efforts are above an 8.5. So they're very high fatiguing. However, they're high stimulative because they are so close to failure and they are really going to drive that adaptation response from 
the from the individual. So that's how I like to frame intensity. Intensity is low, below a seven, moderate, seven to eight, or high, 8.5 and above. And that gives us a little bit of a framework of how we can begin to prescribe intensity within a program. We may have low intensity days where we're maybe not going over a seven, maybe an maybe an eight for some top sets and all of that sort of stuff. And then higher intensity days, we're going to be leaking more eights, nines, and tens within the program. Or you might have a structure that you have some moderate intensity main work at the start of the session, and then you're going to smack some high intensity at the end of that. If we're doing too much high intensity, fitness fatigue, trade-off is probably not going to be, uh, or Stimulus fatigue, sorry, is probably not going to be there because we're just doing too much high intensity work. If we're doing too much low intensity work, again, that that stimulus is probably just not going to be met because people are inaccurate and trying to accurately determine an RPE 6 can be difficult for a lot of people. But bleeding in both low, moderate and high intensity sort of prescriptions within your program is going to be important. So we've covered two of the key principles within a program. The first one, volume. So volume is going to be how how many sets we're, we're doing. Intensity is going to be how hard those sets are, low, moderate, and high intensity. And then finally, we have frequency. So where does the research currently sit within frequency for programming? Over the last few years, we have kind of identified a couple of key things that I think are accurate. And, and these things support anecdote across a, a number of different areas within health and fitness and performance-based training, um, which is a good thing. And now they're really beginning to be supported by evidence, which is fantastic. They are starting to be challenged to some degree, which is also important because we're trying to refine science over time is trying to refine the error margins in its own work and and move towards more constructive, productive training principles and progresses and, and prescriptions. But where does frequency currently sit? So for the most part, from a skill development perspective, so when we're developing skill within the gym of like main movements and improving our uh, movement quality and all of that sort of stuff, higher frequency seems to be more beneficial. And that is because if we think about prescriptions of higher frequency as just practice, we're just getting more practice at the skill itself. And that, and that is important because more practice in varied sort of... Um, in varied sort of environments and under different loads and different positions. So a good one would just be like your your stacked rib cage and pelvis. If we've got throughout the entire training week, let's say you're training four days a week, every single session, there's a little bit of like stacking work going on. Yeah, you've got your main lifts where we're trying to improve our brace. Maybe we've got some accessories where we're trying to shift the center of mass back and, and find some abs, find some hamstrings, find some serratus and do all of that sort of stuff. If you've got some low level stuff like planking and dead bugs and stuff to learn that stack position in a, a low threshold learning environment where we're, we're picking up a lot of uh, sort of feedback from the environment itself, maybe from the ground or a better managed center of mass. Maybe we've got some stacking stuff within our accessory stuff and hypertrophy things. So things like split squats or whatever it might be. We can have our stacking practice, our higher frequency stacking practice across a number of different uh, environments within the training week. And that is a really good thing. And that is why frequency from a skill development perspective is we probably want to try to drive frequency up so we get more practice across a, a varied number of exposures within the gym. So higher frequency for skill development makes a lot of sense. Secondary to that, higher frequency from a volume perspective makes a lot of sense as well. And this is sort of like back back in the old days of like the Ziz era. I'm just going to have a drink. 
sponsored by Monster. Back in the the bro ziz era of training, where you used to just have like one chest day, that's the typical one. But let's say we've just got a single chest day and then we're doing like five or six exercises and we're fucking slamming chest. We're like shredding it off the bone. We're ripping that sucker. We're like really trying to damage the chest on that day. So then we have high volumes, high intensities, and we're really driving that independent sort of load on the chest or independent or or individual exposure on the chest. That kind of falls apart because we're, we're sort of applying so much in one session that the effort and the intensity begins to deteriorate as acute fatigue starts to accumulate, which is a consideration. There has now been some more supporting evidence for, um, for in like single exposures within a week from a frequency perspective. But anecdotally, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the most of the clients that most coaches are helping, which don't really want to just hammer a single body part in one session uh, because it increases DOMS, it, it, it has a lot of fatigue, it becomes very, very like hard. The sessions are very hard and high intensity um, and that can be a deterrent for a lot of people. All of those factors can be a deterrent for a lot of people. So about five years ago, the research started coming out where if volume is equated, uh, we can kind of just like distribute the volume across the training week and this thing this makes the most sense and this is how we program here at strength culture but just distributing training volume across a couple of exposures within the week so let's say maybe you're aiming for 16 hard sets of chest training instead of doing it all on day one you can just do two exposures of chest training throughout the week and spreading that volume across a couple of exposures is probably going to be more beneficial why because if we have two exposures of eight sets, it means we could probably get higher quality movement and and high quality stimulus from those two independent sessions of each other. There's only eight hard sets. And then once the acute fatigue has really started to set in, we can pull back and go do a different body part. And then maybe on Thursday, we hit another exposure of the chest training. So from a volume prescription, when we think about volume and how when we frame volume from our discussion and principles, it's how we distribute the the intensity and the sorry when we discuss frequency within a program, it is how we um, distribute the intensity and volume within the program. Frequency allows us to have a more managed distribution of volume and intensity, and we're probably for most people in most situations going to be looking at a two times frequency for most things. Yes, you may have a time constraint on days per week uh, and, th- and there will just be like a, a hierarchy of importance of the things that you're going to train within those three sessions and maybe you only get a single exposure of something, that's completely fine. Just make sure that single exposure is high intensity and, and actually pushing close to failure. But for the most part, if we're trying to distribute volume uh, in the best case scenario, I think two to three exposures is probably going to make the most spent, most sense for majority of our outcomes. That would include strength, um, that will include skill, that will include hypertrophy, and that will also include energy system development. We're trying to distribute the volume and accumulate better quality work around the training week. And that is how the big rocks of programming volume, intensity, and frequency, those three factors drive the external load 
more than anything else because they are how much load we're placing in volume, hard sets per week, how hard the load is being placed, which is our RPE landmarks of low, moderate, and high, and then how often we apply that load, which is the frequency and, and the consistency of that exposure throughout the week. So they are the drivers of the external load. Underneath those big rocks, we have our smaller rocks, which are going to be things like exercise selection. For building strength, the exercise itself, unless there's constrained to a specific goal, so like powerlifting is very constrained when trying to get better at squat, bench press, and deadlift, a lot of people don't have that focus. They have a couple of exercises that they really wanted to develop, but the overall development of strength is actually a broader quality than most people think. And we can develop strength across a varied amount of exercises throughout a training block and this is why rep uh sorry this is why exercise selection is a smaller rock unless it's constrained by a very specific goal we can be very varied within our exercise selections so we could choose any number of lower body squat based patterns ssbs high bars low bars front squats zerches goblets for some people goblets uh hack squat pendulum it doesn't really matter the exercise itself they all can we can all develop lower body strength within all of those exercises and we can be quite fluid within the prescription of those exercises and that's why exercise selection is actually a smaller rock within training it doesn't impact external load as much as volume intensity and frequency they are the big rocks they are the drivers of external load secondary to that would be rep ranges again unless specifically constrained by a goal rep ranges don't really matter yes and 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 straw manning that argument of rep ranges don't really matter comes down to the conversation around like oh well you would never do sets of 20 on deadlifts no fucking shit you wouldn't do sets of 20 on deadlifts like there's going to be some constraints that just come to the exercises that we've selected but for the most part we can develop strength within a one rep range a five rep range a 10 rep range we can just develop in uh, hypertrophy within a 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 rep range. It doesn't really matter as long as proximity to failure has been checked off. <clears throat> we can develop uh, energy system development across a wide variety of, of exercises and, and, and time periods and all of that sort of stuff. Yes, certain rep ranges will probably more be more beneficial for certain exercises. Rep ranges and exercise selections are inherently constrained to each other. Uh, but for the most part, rep ranges are quite a fluid um, a quite a fluid prescription. There, there's no real difference between a five and a six. There's no real difference between a three and a five. There's no real difference between a, tw a 10 and a 12. At an individual level, there is, but on a larger time scale, there just really is no difference. We just have to move in the direction of the goals and the constraints of the goals that we've set. So exercise selection and rep ranges are constrained to each other, but they are not what drive the external load forward. What drives the external load forward is our volume, intensity, and frequency. So that is the most important thing when we discuss and understand program design is how are we building the external load and how is that being perceived and re the response that we're receiving from the individual at an individual level and that is the internal load. And, and that is the crux of how I think about programming. Obviously, this is not... And, and, and this discussion now 
And at the very start of this discussion, I said why it's so important for coaches to develop their own models and be principle-driven. And that is the reason, is because if you go and consume, and, and this whole discussion is the reason, sorry, because if you go and consume your favorite strength coach who's a guru, top-down expert, and they tell you that it's this rep range and this exercise and it's this program structure, it just doesn't make sense because below all of that, is the external load of the entire program, which is just volume, intensity, and frequency. And that's what drives it. So when you're reviewing programs, we're actually just reviewing volume, intensity, and frequency. We're not reviewing the specific exercises and the specific rep ranges and all that sort of stuff. So if a, if a new program, if a new client comes to you and shows you your their current program, the first thing that I'm telling people to go look at is volume, intensity, and frequency. How much work are we doing? How often is it being, um, sorry, how much work are we doing? How hard is the work? And are we actually sort of distributing that work in a constructive, productive way? That is what actually drives response to training more than anything else. And that is why being principle driven is so much more important. A couple of things that you could look at if you wanted to better develop this sort of stuff. Number one would be my coaching foundations course, which is coming in December. I've nearly finished all the slides and I'm going to start recording it probably over the next two weeks, but uh, that would be the first port of call, which will be join my email list. Uh, because if you join my email list, you will get a discount when it launches. Only people on the email list will get that discount. So join the email list on my website or my bio, uh, because I think if, you, if you're listening to this, you probably want to learn my strategies and my frequency, uh, and my models and my principles. So jumping in there would probably be your first port of call. Second place, go and read Franco Impalazzeri's load, um, his load, it's, it's kind of like a narrative. I don't even know. It's not a, it's not literature. I don't, I don't exactly know, but it, you just Google it. Franco Impalazzeri uh, defining load and it will come up. It's a two-page document and it does a fantastic job of unpacking external and internal load. The next thing that I would probably look at would be James Krieger's Volume Bible, which is just on his website. It's a free resource that discusses hypertrophy applications for volume prescriptions. However, as we now understand volume, uh, sorry, strength and hypertrophy are inherently connected. We can't really chase one without productively chasing the other one. So when we think about those volume prescriptions, I think they also give us a pretty good framework to work within a strength perspective as well. So uh, go and check out James Krieger's volume Bible. And then finally, from an intensity perspective, I think the best person to learn from is Mike Israel, oh, Mike Israel oh, has some good stuff, but um, I've just blanked. Reactive training systems. Oh, Mike Tashira, sorry. Yeah, I would I would recommend going to check out Mike some of Mike Tashira's work. He's got a bunch of fantastic content on RPE prescriptions and intensity prescriptions within training, and a, a bunch of free resources within his uh, YouTube archive. So I would recommend check checking out Mike Tashira's Reactive Training Systems YouTube channel if you wanted to learn more about intensity. So Ben, I know we didn't talk about specifically um, when 
we didn't even talk about writing programs. We just talked about the principles that underpin well-structured programs. But hopefully that understanding of internal and external load is going to be beneficial for you guys listening in. And I believe that if you go to look at those resources and join my course, my Coaching Foundations course, uh, I believe that uh, you'll be in a better position to write more productive, well-structured programs to move forward with. So thank you very much for checking out the Training Model Podcast that brings us to the end. Um, Again, my website, currently I have my business uh, 101 course, which is online. Uh, There's 18 coaches that are currently involved. It sounds like there's going to be a couple more jumping in over the next month, which is unreal. So there's currently 18 coaches that are in there. My business 101 course is uh, sort of like business foundations. Uh, I'm not giving you methods and, and strategies because that's not how I operate at any level within my business. Uh, I, I try to best understand the key principles of business and then begin to apply those principles into my decision-making, which improves our outcomes over time. So if you're interested in learning the foundations of business uh, from a marketing, a sales, retention and finance strategy, as well as business mindset, I would recommend checking that out. Uh, it, it is designed to help sort of younger coaches who are really just starting to get into business development and starting to really try to build their own career and, 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 and build themselves for the long term. It is, it is designed to try to take the stress and anxiety away from that process because building a business is really fucking hard. It is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. It's the hardest thing that I consistently front facing Business development is incredibly difficult and I know that this course is able to help people, help young coaches better understand and better develop their own business. So I'd recommend checking that out. You can use the code TEAMMEETING to save uh, 10% or $75 off the course. Uh, there is a payment plan up there as well, uh, a monthly, pa- a five-monthly payment plan of $190 and you can save $75 off the first month uh, as well if you're interested in joining that. I'd recommend doing that. There's 18 coaches in there. I've actually booked a couple of calls this week with some of those coaches, which is something that I'm going to sporadically do uh, for anyone that jumps in the course just a free call, a free chat to better apply some of the principles and the discussions within the course for your specific context. So if you're interested in learning how to develop your business backend, go and check that out. Remove the stress and anxiety from developing your business within the strength and coaching world. Secondary to that is my Understanding Center of Mass webinar. If you're interested in learning my key principle of human movement, come to that webinar. There's going to be so many takeaways. I think there's about 15 coaches in there currently. I'd love to double that and get over 30 coaches to that. So it's $59. Uh, Please jump in there if you're keen on learning my key principles for human movement. Uh, That will be one of the links down below. And then thirdly, join the email list because that is where all of the updates for training model are coming through, including my coaching foundation course, which all of these discussions over the last couple of weeks as well as my movement stuff. Uh, So it's going to be movement. It's going to be programming. It's going to be principles and models. And then it's going to be just like application of that sort of stuff within coaching systems. All of that is going to be within my coaching foundations course. And if you're on the email list, you will get first dibs at a pre-sale offer um, that will save you a little bit of money. So jump on there as well. If you're keen, join the email list. And I'll also send an email out every week just discussing some random shit that that is in my brain. So again, thank you very much for checking out the Training Model Podcast. If you found today's episode valuable, please 
G me up and share it on social media. Tag it. DM me. If you've got questions and topics that you want to discuss within the Training Model Podcast, please just shoot me a DM. Fill out the form on the bio or you can also – on the website, sorry. Or you can also just uh, shoot me a DM and I'm happy to chat and I'm happy to discuss these things. Uh, but, yeah, thank you very much for checking out the, the episode and we will see you next week. I think I was way better with ums there. I don't. I caught myself a couple of times early, and I, I I I stopped catching myself. But I think I was better with my ums, which is good. Well done, Jamie. Good stuff. <laughs>